Here we are, it's Time Change Sunday. For those of you that, that know me well, you know I am overly educated, right? So I have a BA and an MA and an MDiv, and, and even though all through school I had this call to be a pastor, I had professors that were telling me all along the way, gosh, Max, you, you should really go on for a PhD. Gosh, Max, you, sh- you should really go on for a PhD. You should really do this, and you should really do this. And so I had entered this competition, and I had won the national prize in my area of expertise. The number one scholar in that field was my former mentor and backer. And so they told me, apply, apply to just two doctoral programs. You're a shoe-in. You're a shoe-in, Max, I tell you. And so I did. I applied to two programs. And... And I was a shoe-in, right? And I got the two letters on the same day. They came in the mail on the same day, opened the first letter, no. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes it easy. I don't have to retch about the decision, right? I know where I'm going. And I opened the second letter, and it said no. And, and so Jenny and I, at that point in our lives, we didn't have a plan B. We didn't have a, a backup plan. We didn't have a well, what if this doesn't pan out the way we think? Like, so we were caught in a sense with our pants down, like we didn't know what to do. And so we said, we're just gonna stay put and we're gonna pray for a year and see what God says. Well, at the time, I was an elementary school janitor. That was my job while I was finishing my thesis. Uh, I was the day janitor at an elementary school. Uh, Can I just say, I love that job. Like, I love that job. Two words, free uniforms. Okay, free uniforms. Every single day that you wake up, you don't have to think about what you're wearing. You put on the same thing. Like, there's a part of me today, I'm sort of envious. I have a pastor buddy and his name is Justin and he wears the clerical collar and the whole nine yards. Like, every day of his life, he never has to think about what he's wearing. It's the same thing. And unless you think that's crazy, there's... There's uh, 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 Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg who, what? Wear the same thing every day. So I I love that aspect of the job. I love the fact that um, I could actually help people in a tangible way and they were easy solutions, right? So uh, one of the things that drove teachers nuts back in the 90s was um, Johnny Rocker. So you have a chair and Johnny's supposed to sit in his chair and one of the feet of the chair is missing. Uh, And so uh, if it explodes, we'll evacuate, okay? So don't panic. (laughs) It's possible, (laughs) okay? So they hate the fact that, like, Johnny's rocking in the chair, and I was the first janitor that would actually call the companies and get replacement chair feet, and you would have thought that I was one of the demigods from Mount Olympus that had come down to walk among the people. Oh, Mr. V, you're great, oh. And um, the other thing I loved about the job is... um, the cafeteria workers would make, uh, and this is back in the days of government peanut butter. And, and the people that worked in the cafeteria back then were all the cattlemen wives. So they were cattlemen farmer wives. They didn't work the job because they wanted the job. They didn't work the job because they needed the money. You know why they worked the job? They needed the health insurance. That's why they worked the job. And so it was all green beans cooked to death, their chicken recipes, like it was real Kentucky food that was just amazing to eat. And so they would make these giant jelly roll pans of homemade Reese's peanut butter cups, you know, with a thick layer of the sugar peanut butter and then a thick layer of the chocolate on top. And I had this giant, because everything was big in the 90s, I had this giant walkie-talkie that was always strapped and a big thing of keys, you know, 
I got keys that jingle, jangle, jingle, you know, and I had the whole thing, right? And so I would get a call about, if I got a call from the kitchen about 1.30 in the afternoon, it was, you know, uh, Mr. V, we need assistance in the kitchen. And that meant Reese's peanut butter bars. So, <laughs> so I love that job, except for one moment that kept coming up time and time again. And it was any time one of my former friends from school would say to me, so Max, what are you doing these days? Uh, I'm, I'm a day janitor at elementary school. Oh. You know, and the, and the response was, and, it, and, and I felt this thing in my heart every time someone asked me that. And, and it's because they were out, they were in doctoral programs. Uh, I wasn't. They were writing and speaking. I wasn't. Uh, they were starting ministries. I wasn't. And, and they were doing all this stuff. And what was I doing? I was cleaning up vomit. <laughs> that, that I, and there was one day after the 17th cleanup, I really was this close to quitting, okay? So like, what, what is that in that moment where here I had a job that I absolutely loved, but I had this thing in my heart when friends from school are asking me about a job that I love and I feel like I can't say <laughs> that I'm doing this job. What is that? And it's, it's this thing that we all have, and, and I call it the comparison game. Okay, so the comparison game is something that we do in life, and, and most of you here aren't in this category, because uh, I know our church pretty well, but there is a slim, slim sliver of people that when they do the comparison game, they look around and they go, I am so much better than these duds. I am so much better than my spouse. I am the better half. Uh, when they're at work, they don't say it out loud. They just think it, okay? And when they're at work, they think, you are so lucky to have me among you. You know, and, and, and it's just part of them. So they do the comparison game and they always come out on top. Now, most of us, the overwhelming majority of us, when we do the comparison game, our walk away conclusion is, Wah! How's come they have? How's come they get to do? Why did they, like, wah! That's kind of how we walk away, most of us, with the comparison game. Um, and it plays out in a unique way in my life. So I'm going to turn 50 this year, and I'm, I'm an ectomorph. That's a type of body type, right? Okay, so I could freebase the protein powder all day long, and I'm just gonna be an ectomorph. Like, it's not gonna change me fundamentally. But my wife is a swim coach, and so she now coaches all year, wrong, all, year, all year long, and so in the summer, she coaches right out that door about 100 feet or so that way, and during the school year, she coaches the East and West swim teams. So because I'm married to her, I help out, and so I'm around a pool deck with 18-year-old bucks who are competitive swimmers, right? So... <laughs> So it's real quick to do, you look at them and then you look down and you go, oh, you know, <laughs> it's the Sesame Street song. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things does not belong. Okay. And so now because you're so wise and you walk with Jesus so tightly, you would say to me, Max, that is the stupidest thing in the world to do as a 50-year-old man on a pool deck to do some kind of comparison with 18-year-old swimmers. And I would go, well, duh. And yet, 
and yet it plays out sometimes. So what is, what is this thing, what is this thing in us that does the comparison game? And, and why is it that when we look at other people, at what they have and what they do, that we sulk and we complain and we're envious and, and sometimes we even, we get mad at God, don't we? Like, God, why do you love them more than you love me? Like, ah, and we feel it so intensely. Like, what is going on? Um, and I think it, in part it's because we look at what others have and do and, and when we do the comparison game, we either conclude, one, God loves them more than he loves us, or we conclude that somehow we're defective in some way, that somehow we've just earned our rough spot in life. And both conclusions are wrong. Both conclusions are wrong. So if, if I have a bottom line this morning, it's this, like, please quit comparing yourself with what others have and with what others do. What others have and what others do is not who you are. It's not who you are. Who you are is rooted in how you've been adopted into God's family as his beloved son or daughter. That's who you are. Now, the good news is, in the New Testament, Jesus' closest friends struggled with this kind of envy. I don't know if you've read through the Gospels all the way. I love them. I love Jesus' closest friends. He picked how many disciples to be the disciples? How many? Twelve. Did you know that among the twelve there were cliques. Did you know that? So the way it happened is Jesus would sometimes get to do special things with his special friends and special disciples, Peter, James, and John. Hey, Peter, James, and John, I'm going up to the mountain. Come along with me. They go up to the mountain, and what happens? Oh, Moses appears. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're God. You know, oh, and they come down the mountain. When they come down the mountain, the other nine disciples have been trying to help this boy that's, that's seized by a demon, right? And they're kapow, kapow, and they're, and they're kapow, Jesus' powers aren't working. And they're frustrated, and the man's yelling at him, the father. And so Jesus and the three who had been up on the mountain, they come down, and, and Jesus is like, idiots, only this can be done by prayer. And then boom, it's done. How do you think you're feeling if you're one of the nine? I'm here, I was sent on mission, I can't even do this thing now, the kapow's not working, and then Peter, James, and John come down from what's clearly something awesome, and I asked Peter, I said, what went on up there? And he goes, well, I'm not supposed to say anything, but let's just say Moses was there. Shh, don't tell anyone, right, okay? And so how would you not feel some twinges of, well, right? And, and we know that's the case because one of the things they argued about amongst themselves was who was the greatest. Remember these arguments that would take place? Now, in their minds, they know Jesus is a king. And so they're thinking, okay, we know how that works. Um, we're going to throw off Rome. You're going to be crowned. And one of us is going to be like Mr. Viceroy, Mr. Number One, Mr. You know, second in command. You know, and, and so... Come on, Jesus, which one of us it is it? You know, is it, it's not Peter, is it? It's me, John, right? You know, and they have this back and forth and, and, and it keeps coming up and up. And what does Jesus say to them? Whoever among you wants to be greatest must become what? Least. And whoever is first will be last. And 
they struggle and they argue. At the end of John's gospel, I think Jesus says something very powerful to us in 2018 because let's face it, with social media and everything else, we're doing the comparison game all the time. And when we get on and when we see what others have and when we see what others are doing, it just elicits this visceral way inside of us, okay? And so in John chapter 21, uh, this, this, this takes place. So John 21 is, this, um, is an epilogue of the book of John. Um, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the last of the movies, The Return of the King, the last 20 minutes of the film is like, oh, all the big stuff's over and you're kind of tying together the loose ends. That's John chapter 21. So John's doing this kind of epilogue thing. Jesus has been crucified, dead, and buried, and then surprise, he's back. The resurrection happens. And so Peter and his friends, they're fishing. And they're fishing and they're throwing nets into the water and they're not catching anything. And some guy off on the shore calls out what? Cast your nets on the other side, right? <laughs> we're fishermen. We know what we're doing, okay? We may not have been great disciples for the rabbi from Nazareth, but we're fishermen. And what do they do? They throw their nets in and of course, boom, there's all this fish. So in that moment, Peter recognizes, hey, that's not just some guy, that's Jesus. And what does Peter do? He jumps in the water and swims to shore while the rest of them get the boat there. Now, this is just Max interpretation, okay? So a lot of commentators will, will see in that oh, that's just Peter's personality. He's so exuberant, he, you know, he, he jumped in. I kind of wonder if it's that rivalry stuff that's playing out more, right? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. He knew he was in the doghouse. By golly, I'm gonna get to Jesus first. I wonder if in part was, I just wanna make sure everything's okay, but then two, I'm gonna beat you guys. Like, I'm gonna get there first. <laughs> And so, sure enough, he does. And there's this interchange that Jesus has with him, and it's in John chapter 21, verses 15 and following. So they, they share breakfast together, and this is after they've had breakfast. Jesus calls uh, Peter aside, and there's this interchange. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know of the kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter 
turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? As for you, follow me. So there's this interchange, right? Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Back and forth, love sheep, love sheep, love sheep. Where's the focus here? Love sheep. When Jesus is all done, what is the first thing out of Peter's mouth? What about him? What about John? The disciple Jesus loved. Now, I have a lot of kids. If I were to refer to one of my kids as, this is Jillian, the daughter I love. <laughs> What's Maddie's takeaway? <laughs> if you're Maddie, what do you walk away with, right? Okay, so, so now I'm, that's some ways that we think that are, are different than what's going on in the first century. And there's some different words used in there in love, and you can read about it from some theologians. But I think there's some rivalry playing out here between Peter and John. Because I don't see how you get from love sheep, love sheep, to what about John? And I wonder if Peter is wondering, well, if I'm gonna have a death that glorifies you, is, is his death gonna glorify you more? <laughs> like, how does this play out, boss? Like, is he gonna do it better? <laughs> I just need to know, please don't crush me, <laughs> okay? So, so let, me, let me ask this question, and actually I wanna ask a couple. Has, has comparing yourself to others ever made you feel better? Has, thank you for not laughing out loud. Has comparing yourself to others ever made you feel better? And then secondly, where do you go? Where do you go for validation and for meaning? If you're married and you go to your spouse, that means they can validate you, but they can also crush you. If you go to a friend circle, the same thing is true. Whoever has the ability to tell you who you are and give you meaning and significance has power over you. And if there's anyone that you want to have that kind of power over you, I wanna to suggest to you that it's Jesus of Nazareth who knows his sheep, whose sheep know his voice, who's a good shepherd and lays down his life for his sheep. That's who you want to tell you who you are, is Jesus. So, so how do we do this? Well, one thing I wanna suggest is that for some of us, we should probably abandon social media. Social media is killing our souls. We get on, and then 20 minutes later when we get off, we're crotchety. And it's not just the politics, right? It's the, why did, you know, man, they go out on dates every week. How come you can't give me dates? You know, and there's all that stuff that plays out on social media, okay? Um, so if, if social media is killing you and killing your soul, like turn it off. And here's the great thing. We're in the middle of Lent. You can just tell your friends, I decided to give it up for Lent. <laughs> and then you'll look all spiritual <laughs> and everybody wins, okay? The, the second thing is 
I want, and, and this is a process, but you need to commit to the process of letting Jesus Christ tell you who you are. And I wanna tell you, this is not something you can do this week, this year. I'm 49 and I'm still in this process, but the more Jesus can tell you who you are, the more your identity is rooted in him, the freer you are. Jesus Christ was the freest man who ever lived. He was free from the opinions of others. He was free from all of that stuff. He was free to be who he was. And he knew his father's love for him. In John 13, when Jesus takes up the towel and basin and does the job that nobody wants to do, the phrase that John uses is, because he knew where he had come from and where he was going, he took up the towel and basin. And he went around and he did the job that everyone else refused because they didn't want to be linked to such a dirty job. That's not who I am. Okay? When your identity is rooted in Jesus, you're able to serve freely and it doesn't bother you. Okay? And the, and the last thing is simply this. Serve where you are. Not where you want to be, not where you think you should be in your company, in your school, in your cheer squad. Like, serve where you are, not where you think you should be or ought to be. Now, again, I'm looking at this passage and I see a rivalry between the disciples. You may come to a different conclusion, but church history tells us something significant about Peter. At the end of Peter's life, Peter's life played out differently than John's, okay? So Peter was crucified. And according to church tradition, when it came to that moment, Peter says to them, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't be crucified this way. Like, I, I'm just not worthy of the same kind of death as Jesus. Turn me upside down, boys, right? When I hear that, I hear that at the end of Peter's life, it was no longer about John. At the end of Peter's life, the only thing that mattered to him was Jesus, John, do you know what? He lived to a ripe old age, died of natural causes. <laughs> so who won the race, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it didn't matter, I don't think, for Peter, because at the end of it, what mattered is what Jesus thought, okay? So um, God does those kind of things. Um, you know this, for those of you at Generations, you know the rest of the story. So um, this school where I was an elementary school janitor, right? Okay, so 14 years ago, a group of 10 families decide to do this crazy thing and start a church in Nicholasville. And Nicholasville has a reputation, whether you know this or not, of being a church graveyard. So a lot of churches have started and failed in Nicholasville. And we kind of helped turn the tide, right? Actually, we shouldn't get too proud about that. Jesus did that in us, and we got to partner with him, right? So, uh, so we were looking for a place to meet and we ended up at a school. And you know what school we ended up at? The school where I was a janitor. What a coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence, okay? God's at work in your life, even though you don't feel it, even though you don't see it. God's at work in your life when you feel that he loves others more than you because of what they have and what they're doing. God is at work in your life. Let Jesus tell you who you are.